Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's The Upper Room. Our podcast addresses the Christian's role in today's culture. We hope you enjoy it and find it informative. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. Now let's get going. This is Scott Kimball. I'm one of the elders and an associate pastor at Bible Fellowship Church. And today I wanted to go ahead and do a direct message. Had a couple of things um, pop up that I've been reading through and, and looking at and thinking about. And just wanted to put that out there for folks to maybe think about a little bit and see you know what your thoughts are on some of this stuff. So I wanted to start out, first of all, by, I guess, offering a bit of a, a retraction the other day when I was, we were having the discussion with fellow associate pastor Bob Wren, uh, I mentioned towards the end of our our podcast that uh, there had been a study done um, about masks by Stanford University, professor from Stanford University, and that it had been peer-reviewed and whatnot and published and, and talking about the detrimental effects of mask wearing, I guess trying to offer a little bit of a balanced perspective Folks seem to believe that as long as you're wearing that mask, you're impervious to, to getting the virus, which just really isn't true. But so I'm always looking for those kind of counter articles out there that kind of go against the narrative a little bit to, to see what the other side is thinking on these kind of issues. And found that Stanford University article uh, was published under the National Institutes of Health, and I thought it was kind of interesting. So I mentioned it in the last podcast. And uh, well, then afterwards, of course, the... The folks who were protecting the narrative uh, went after the study and, first of all, said that the professor who was at Stanford University or claiming to be part of Stanford University had only been there for like a year and was not a regular member of faculty staff. Stanford University has also backed off and said, no, they had nothing to do with this. And and so then, of course, the fact checkers are out there and they're saying, you know, everything, all the thing, the claims that are being made in the article were being debunked, which is a term I, I really... Uh, don't like. I, I think if you want to refute something, that's one thing. You present your evidence and refute it, but debunking something kind of goes along with this other narrative that seems to get pushed a lot was if you don't agree with our narrative, then your narrative is a conspiracy theory, which is something I, I find, um, I, I guess it's just the use of language and the use of words trying to, I guess, push or the idea that you're trying to force other people into your way of thinking by using language and words in such a way that if they even try to disagree with you, that somehow that makes them a a horrible, terrible kind of person or whatever. It's it's hyperbole, really. I mean, it's taking language to a to another level of almost abuse. Anyways, and so the the article that I, that I mentioned is in question. Um, it's, it's definitely not something that you can cite at this point. I guess the, the professor who brought it up would, had submitted it as a hypothesis that, you know, that the masks could have some detrimental effects and wanting further study on it, of course, which won't happen. But anyway, so I just wanted to throw that out there and, and uh, talk a little bit about that. And it's one of the things that, 
you know, it's kind of part of a bigger problem or bigger picture is the fact that there, there does seem to be a bit of a narrative being pushed by a certain segment of our society that is very much interested in um, more control. Um, I would say it's, it's largely Marxist based, very anti-religion. Uh, matter of fact, those of us that are believers are kind of on the, on the wrong end of things most of the time with this crew because they, they see us as opposition uh, to their position. You know, and in fact, probably in many ways we actually are. And so we're, we're treated in such a way through this, this narrative um, that we're told basically that what we're seeing with our own eyes and what we're seeing happening around us isn't really happening. You know, that what's really happening is this over here. And which is not what we're seeing with our own eyes and experiencing with our own lives. And, and, uh, that's, that's considered a, that's what they call gaslighting, which is, you know, you're, you're in a reality and you're seeing what's going on around you and you're saying, well, this appears to be this to me. And somebody comes along and says, oh no, that's not that at all. It's this over here, which you're not seeing that at all, but they, they say it so convincingly and they say it over and over again, and you're hearing it from different angles and different people that uh, you begin to question your own sense of what's real, you know, what's, what's reality. And that's, that's called gaslighting. So, um, I think we, we're seeing a lot of that in our society right now, and both sides are doing it to a certain degree politically, you know, as Christians, we kind of need to step back a little bit and maybe try to take a bigger view of it all and not get wrapped up in the, in the details of the minutiae of it all. But I do think you need to be aware that it is going on and that, you know, if you are seeing things with your own two eyes and going, okay, well, this is appeared, appears to be what I'm seeing. And yet you're hearing from, you know, the nightly news or, you know, your friend down the street or whatever that, you know, no, no, you're not thinking about it correctly. It's, it's actually this over here. But just know that you might not be wrong. These, these other views, these other narratives that are being pushed on you um, may just be a form of gaslighting where they're trying to convince you that the reality you're seeing is not really what's actually happening. So anyways, with that said, um, I want to move on and talk a little bit about um, what I wanted to really get to today and discuss, which is this idea of overpopulation. And there's been a couple articles I've read recently talking about overpopulation. And it's one of those things that kind of, you know, as a Christian, as a believer, you know, we're given the the dominion mandate coming out of Noah's flood, populate and fill the earth. And, and I think part of that mandate, um, you know, we've understood that we need to, to fill the earth. But that, of course, that begs the question, at what point is the earth full? And how many people does the earth actually hold, right? What's the earth's carrying capacity <laughs> is maybe one way to look at it. So in thinking about that a little bit, um, there's a couple of good articles. If you go to the Foundation for Economic Education's website, it's just feefee.org and just do the search term for overpopulation. You'll find a bunch of articles. And there was one that was written way back in the 1970s called What is Overpopulation? And it was kind of published at a time when it was pretty trendy because uh, a man named Paul Ehrlich had published a book, uh, The Population Bomb, and was was also uh, printed in the 1970s. And his book um, really changed the thinking for a lot of people about population and population growth. Basically, what he said was that by the end of the 1970s, that millions of people were going to starve to death on the earth 
um, regardless of any um, crash programs, you know, that we might try to embark upon to, to save humanity or whatever. And the, the main thing about his predictions was that they were wrong. Uh, not only did the population continue to grow, but as the population continued to grow, we solved a lot of those food problems. And uh, But the people who believe in the overpopulation paradigm, what they typically look towards is the amount of resources the planet has, and which we typically underestimate the amount of resources that are on this planet to begin with. And, you know, they look at things like food supply and the amount of food that can be grown per acre and different things like that and and say that, you know, well, if the population gets to be X to X size, then we won't have enough food to feed everybody. And you can really see how this has come into our culture over the years. And you can even see it in, in pop culture. I was thinking about the Marvel movies. The villain in the Marvel movies was Thanos. And Thanos in the movies, his whole, his entire mission is to depopulate the universe. So he goes planet to planet and cuts the population in half of every planet he goes to and uh, brings about paradise on these planets, right? It's kind of the whole the whole storyline behind it. And so he goes and eliminates half the population and then suddenly there's a massive resources for everybody and everybody's happy and they're all singing kumbaya and everything's lovely. Well, that's not really how overpopulation works and that's not how things work and and in fact i think if you actually did reduce the planet by population by half take the earth if you took our what is it six or seven billion people now that we have on this planet and you cut that in half you would literally put this planet back in the dark ages again all the technological advances and everything we've produced up to this point gone absolutely gone and we can see that in history and there's the other article that, that I was looking at was the myth that our planet faces an overpopulation crisis. And this one was actually published back in 2019 um, by an author named Barry Brownstein. And he was looking at Population Bomb book by uh, Paul Ehrlich and all the apocalyptic claims that, that Ehrlich was making in his book and how none of them happened. He began to look at some other things. Um, one of the things he looked at was this what he calls Malthusian doom, which is this idea that that there seems to be a, I don't know, a natural inclination or whatever of humanity to, to see us as being more pessimistic, that we know that there's something flawed and something not right with humanity, and ultimately we will destroy ourselves. And while that's not all entirely wrong, um, having that kind of viewpoint uh, really sort of... Um, I think taints our our ability to move towards a, a better, brighter future. So, and one of the things he talks about here is in the book Progress, 10 Reasons to Look Forward to the Future, it says the good old days were awful, uh, observes John Norberg uh, in the book. And he looks at, at Sweden and talks about how Back in, let's see if I can find it here real quick, in the 19th century, Sweden was so poor back in the 19th century, Norberg reserves, that it was poor with shorter life expectancy and higher child mortality than the average sub-Saharan African country. The population of Sweden in 1868 was a bit over three and a half million. Today, Sweden's population is almost 300% larger. 
Is Sweden more overpopulated than it was in 1868? Sweden's a nice place to live today, from what I understand. People aren't starving to death. Life's pretty good. So what changed? What's the difference? And so he makes the point, and I think the point is is made in, in a few different books, but the point is made that population or overpopulation is a relative thing. It's really based on the economics. And that actually the, the larger your population gets, the more people stop worrying about subsistence and survival and can begin to, once they have food, clothing, and shelter, take food, clothing, and shelter taken care of, they can begin to look towards uh, specialization. When you have enough people that they can begin to specialize, you begin to see humanity begin to flourish and it get out of this mode of survivalism and begin to get into a mode of flourishing. And I think that's one of the reasons why God told humanity after Noah's flood to repopulate the earth, to begin to fill the earth. And the reason is, is that um, there's been a couple of books, and one of them is called The Rational Optimist um, by Matt Ridley. And it talks about this idea that um, the planet, we will get to a certain size, and then the population will stop growing. And the reason for that is, is as we become more affluent, we have fewer children. So as the population grows, people specialize more, more wealth is created, people become more affluent, they have fewer children. And as they have fewer children, the population stops growing. And he estimates that the population of this planet would probably get to around 9 billion or so when we would get to that cap of human flourishing where we had, we had enough people, enough specialization going on, enough things going on in in our um, societies that people could enjoy human flourishing and you didn't feel the need to have multiple children in order for humanity continue to continue on. And we're seeing that, you know, in some countries today, the United States is one of those countries. If it wasn't for immigration, uh, our population in this country would be on decline. And because people in, in the country who are affluent and have money are not having children. They're not having enough children to replace themselves or to replace the population. And, it, you know, it takes like 2.3 kids per family in order to maintain your population size as a, as a country. Well, Americans aren't doing that. On average, we're having less than two kids per family. So we're actually in decline. And, and several other countries in Europe have been that way for a while. And if it wasn't for immigration, people migrating from other uh, countries, into the United States or into some of these European countries, you would see that the the population would just be declining, and because uh, you and you would actually have to have programs to encourage people to have more children in order just to maintain the population. So it's it's an interesting take, it's an interesting perspective, but I, I think the economic angle on it is the correct angle, and I I think that simply looking at population versus resources, because we really don't have a good handle on how many resources our planet has. I mean, we've been estimating for years that we're at peak oil and we're going to run out of fossil fuels, you know, within the next few decades for, for decades now, we've been talking about it and they keep finding more fossil fuels. A matter of fact, there's some evidence that our planet is continuing to make fossil fuels and so it, it's not something that we're going to peek out of anytime soon. And so you can kind of tell that, that as that science progressed and we discovered more reserves of fossil fuels, uh, as a matter of fact, in the United States alone, we have enough coal to meet our needs for over a thousand years. 
And so um, the idea that we're, we're at peak oil or peak fossil fuel load and we're, we're on the decline and we're not going to be able to, to have fossil fuels in the future has been pretty thoroughly refuted. And so now that's why I think the narrative has changed on that. And it's not that we're going to run out of fossil fuels. Therefore, we need to be looking at alternative energies. Now it's the fossil fuels are dangerous and they're going to kill us. And it's the fossil fuels are horrible for the planet and they're killing the planet. And therefore, we need to get, you know, move on to alternative energies and get rid of the fossil fuels. And uh, a lot of Christians have jumped on that, too, and been been convinced by by that mindset. Uh, do we have an obligation to care for this planet as Christians? Absolutely, we do. I think that's part of our um, part of our mandate. But at the same time, I think we need to be smart about it. I think we need to see um, what we can do with the existing technologies to improve and make them better. I don't think you just need to cut yourself off at the knees economically because then you will be in an overpopulation situation. Without fossil fuels, um, our planet will be overpopulated pretty quickly. And the reason for that is, is that fossil fuels drive so much of our economy. And without those fossil fuels, the economy begins to collapse. And when the economy begins to collapse, then overpopulation really is a problem because we can't feed our population. We can't care for our population. We can't pr produce the food, the clothing, the shelter that our population needs in order to flourish. And so if we're, if our concern really is the flourishing of humanity, then that needs to be considered. But to be honest with you, there's a lot of people who really don't want to see humanity flourish. They see humanity as a parasite on this planet. They see humanity as the problem. And in a certain sense, they're not wrong. I mean, we are because of sin and because of the sin nature, but all of creation is affected by sin. And it is it is our sin, humanity brought it about, but I think just removing humanity from this planet would not solve the planet's problems because the planet itself is also affected by sin. Anyways, just some stuff to think about. I, I was kind of on my mind, so I thought I would just kind of bring it out here and think about it a little bit and uh, throw it out here. You know, I'll put both of these articles uh, the myth that our planet faces an overpopulation crisis on our website. You can take a look at that one if you would like. It's got several links built into it. So if you see if you see words in there that are kind of orange in color, that's a link, and you can click on it, and it'll take you to the article that talks about you know whatever it is the link is leading you to. And then there's another article. This is an older article written back in 1970 called "What Is Overpopulation?" and I will. Um, let you know up front that it's not very politically correct. So, I mean, this was written back in 1970, so we need to give the author a little bit of grace. But uh, it would definitely not uh, pass the PC test of today's uh, folks. So, but it, it's an interesting article, and I think it it makes some really good points about humanity and looking at this whole issue of of overpopulation in its historical context. You know, really, I mean, this whole idea of everyone having adequate food, clothing, and shelter to the point where they can then begin to specialize into whatever whatever they feel their niche is within society, that's relatively recent. You know, that's pretty new to humanity. Um, there's been several times throughout history where humanity's kind of gotten close to that, and then their society collapses, and it all starts over again. And, uh, you know, we kind of had a period— 
here with the with the enlightenment where we were getting closer to maybe to that kind of a thing but there were still a lot of people living in poverty extreme poverty has been one of those things that's really kind of plagued our planet from probably from the beginning but definitely in in uh, the last few hundred years and i think that uh you know now that we're getting to a point where we've got enough people on this planet and there's enough specialization going one of the things that was happening before covid broke out was is that we saw that extreme poverty was almost gone on this planet that uh with extreme poverty almost completely eradicated we were going to be able to begin to focus our attention on the next level of just poverty and and try to begin to tackle that and so uh, some of that was set back a little bit by COVID and, and the fact that the economy, again, the economy has a has a big effect on this. When the economy is shut down, when those people who are specializing are sent home and not able to do their specializing, human flourishing suffers. And so the, the other things I want that I would recommend to you to take a look at if, if you want to get uh, kind of some alternative views on this is uh, there's a book called Population Bombed. Uh, Exploding the Link Between Overpopulation and Climate Change. It's by Pierre DeRocher and Joanna Cermak. Very interesting book. Some good stuff in there. That's a fairly recent publication. And then there's another book called The Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley that I would recommend you take a look. And it's called How Prosperity Evolves. Um, Also some interesting reading there. So with that, I'd just like to tell folks that, you know, if you like what you're hearing here, um, go ahead and give us a, a good review and uh, tell other folks about it, and we'll continue to create content and put things out there. I'll just close out uh, with a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to to sit before this microphone and, and talk about the things that are on my mind. I thank you, Lord, for just the many blessings that you bring to us. I pray, Father, for Christians just to, to be aware of what's going on around them, to not stick their head in the sand but that uh, we do need to be aware of what our society and what our culture is doing and need to do what we can to try to influence that and bring a biblical perspective to it. I thank you, Lord, for our church. I thank you, Lord, for our church leadership. And I pray, Father, uh, that you would just continue to guide us in all that we say and do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and found it thought-provoking. The Upper Room is a Bible Fellowship Church production. The opinions discussed by our guests are just opinions and random thoughts at the time of recording and do not necessarily reflect the doctrine or stated beliefs of Bible Fellowship Church. Church.